Welcome to episode four of the Leading Ladies podcast. Um, each episode, we talk about a topic that women business owners face. And today, we're going to be talking about endurance is a mindset. But first, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Mata Brzai. I'm Sue Hawks. And we are excited to get into this topic. Yeah, because it's Leading Ladies. Yes. Which we do in our. Yes. <laughs> yes. Not in movies, though. That is true. That is true. So endurance is a mindset. Let me ask you, what do you think about when when you're talking about that? I always think about the fact that um, if you recognize that the entire journey is going to be filled with challenges and that there's not, I mean, last time we talked about there is no there there. Mm-hmm. And I think like that's like, pivotal point to the endurance as a mindset um, viewpoint for me because early on I wanted to feel like I had solved handled a problem and that I would never see that problem again I would never see the echoes of it I would it would never recur wouldn't that be great and I felt in a way I don't know I I felt anywhere from surprised to overwhelmed to betrayed when the same problems would show up again and again because I thought, like, didn't I deal with this already? Right. Can I be done with this lesson? Can I be done with this now? And um, I think along the way I realized, nope, every week, every month, every year is going to have a challenge. That is the reality of being alive. And most certainly that's the reality of owning a business. And so then I realized I needed to be in the, I needed to train to deal for the challenges in a different way than I had been. I think that's brilliant. I mean, And I think about that, and I think you said it so well. When I think about endurance, it's the mental, the physical, the spiritual, the emotional. And I haven't met a woman business owner yet, and I primarily think about women because I'm in the WPO rooms so often, who's not super persistent, who gets, you know, these shit sandwiches handed to them in one regard or another, where it's not just one event, it's not just one problem, it's not just one concern. It seems like you get in these periods of time where literally things are coming at you from many directions and there's there's a mindset you have to get into like it's not forever and i can only look forward and i'm going to take these things and i might be multitasking or i might be taking one at a time but how am i going to both take care of myself in the matter but also take care of the matter yes i love that so i think that's a really good sort of maybe two-pronged approach to talking about <laughs> True. this is taking care of ourselves in the matter yep and then taking care of the matter yep can I insert a shameless plug yeah so um, I'm currently working on my book and chapter three currently unless it gets shifted around is called be unfuck withable <laughs> which is you know there's a great definition that goes with it which I'll find and share by the end of this now that I've introduced the curious topic but it really is, what do you do to build the kind of re- you know, resilience um, and self-care? Because most of us don't we, don't. we don't do a great job of managing that. And you and I were talking about this earlier with consistency. It's mm-hmm. so hard in the ebb, of, ebb and flow of over-busy lives. 
Yes. And I also feel like identifying what the right self-care is in Mm -hmm. the moment is so tricky, right? And so you were sharing with me like this idea that sometimes you'll be like, oh, what I really need at the end of this week is a happy hour. (laughs) And that was like the exact opposite of what you really needed. Or maybe what you really would have needed would be a brisk walk around one of the lakes. But happy hour seemed like the, the right idea at the time. And I feel like I just had this recently uh, where I, in the throes of an insane week, thought to myself, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to call and see if there's a 3.30 massage today. Oh, like it was brilliant. Like, yeah, it was like, brilliant. I thought so too. I thought Presence so too. of mind to do that and is And it was in the middle of a crazy bad. week. And what I realized after the fact was, yeah, I caused myself stress <laughs> by trying to get everything done to leave early. I got to the massage. I had it and then went right back into the rest of my busy week. And it felt like I had thrown a pebble into the Grand Canyon. Like it yeah. was just like yeah. the wrong self-care yeah. at the wrong moment. And I very well-intentioned thinking, but it was like a good aha moment for me to realize at least for me and how my body and mind works, something like a massage is best scheduled when I will then be able to continue to sort of honor the mood and the tone of getting there and and coming back (laughs) rather than this, you know, brief 90 minute respite in an insane, it didn't do anything. Right. And like in evaluating how exhausted and depleted I felt just two days later going into the weekend, I realized that was not the right choice, but you don't always know that because you're thinking, I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. It's crazy. And I realized like maybe the right self-care would not maybe the right self-care would have been a different thing, but I was just sort of going to, you know, the candidate set of options. And that one seemed like a good idea. Well, and how often do we all do that? I mean, I think it's so vulnerable of you to talk about it that way. And it's so accurate because, you know, you have your bag of tricks. You go, I can meditate. I can journal. I can go for a walk. I can have a glass of wine. I can do the massage. I can go exercise. Like these are the default set of possibilities. But then there's all that. So just like, what if I just sit at my desk and we were listening to um, the gentleman at the WPO um, conference, Sean Aker. And he said, they have found that it's just as beneficial to take your hands off your keyboard and deeply breathe for two solid minutes not focusing on anything else, its own mini meditation, as it is to try and do like what you just did with massage in that moment, just going, okay, the whirlwind started inside and outside. I have no time. Can I create two solid minutes? And they found the effects to your brain are like quantifiably equal to going for a walk if you don't have time for the walk. And there's all kinds of research that they've done on animals, like when they, you know how mice and gerbils run on those wheels? Mm -hmm. So imagine one just doing it at its leisure. They can go all day long. It seems like that's all they do. When my kid had one, my son, Quentin, when he was growing up, it seemed like that's all that thing did. But what they found out was when they put the exact same animal, same gerbil, in a cage where it had no option but to be on the wheel, and they traced their brain chemistry, it was stressful. And so when the animal had no option, it was more the mindset around having to be on the stupid wheel. Mm -hmm. But if left to its own in a space where it could get on and off, but it didn't get off, 
completely different brain chemistry. And so how do you evoke that and not cause what you're trying to alleviate? Yes. Which yes. is, it? it's, you know, it's the same parallel you were drawing. Like the massage, the end is the point where it's like, no, the experience mm -hmm. and getting to the experience and perpetuating the experience is what you need. Like I've never thought of getting my nails done as relaxing. It's a function of having to perform my job. Mm -hmm. So I'm always saying to my nail lady, can you get me in and do the manicure and pedicure at the same time I have one hour? And she's like, Sue, you should relax. And I'm like, this is not relaxing. Hanging out in a salon with a million people, having my nails done. I get that if I'm in the massager chair and I'm supposed to be, I just don't run my life that way. Mm -hmm. So it's never been one of those forms of this is quote unquote relaxation. But I think that's the thing is, there are this candidate set of options, particularly as women, that we are offered or encouraged to pursue. Yep. And sometimes they're effective and sometimes they're not. And I think it's that trial and error of finding the right thing in the right moment right. Uh, that's going to get you the result you need, whether it's the hands off the keyboard, palms flat on the table, two minutes of breathing. <laughs> right. Or going for a walk or, you know, a massage or whatever it is, I think figuring out what is it that you need. Honestly, for me, a lot of the time, if I can remember to drink water, exactly the dehydration, and it's so ridiculously small, simple, simple and small, but if I, c because I don't realize a lot of times I have really bad body awareness. So I realize that I have like a low grade headache. I just know I'm a little bit uncomfortable, a little bit edgy, and I, I'm not identifying it as like, oh, this is this pain I'm experiencing that's making everything else harder for me in this afternoon. And if I just stop and go drink a couple glasses of water to help get me out of my state of dehydration, then that will help. Well, and oftentimes... What I find is when you're doing that very thing just on dehydration, you know, that practice is a good one because otherwise you're eating. Mm -hmm. You know, you think you mistake that for hunger. Mm -hmm. And so then you're filling your mouth with something convenient, easy, quick because I'm rushed. Which is probably going to dehydrate you more. <laughs> it, and perpetuate things. Or you're going to eat the sugary, fatty, you know, thing that you go, I shouldn't be putting this in my mouth right now because really... It's not what's best for me in any regard, but it is what's right there and ready and it looks good. Yeah. And then you eat it and you're like, okay, now I feel worse. I'm even thirstier. I'm even crabbier and I'm going to have this sugar crash. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. so now I have less energy. Yeah. So I think that idea of figuring out how you're going to handle yourself mm -hmm. um, and trial and error. Yeah. And, and I agree that those are all good practices, everyone we're talking about. And it's a, what do I need right now? Because truthfully for me, sometimes I just need someone to talk to. Mm -hmm. I just need to vent about, I'm stressed right now. Here's what's going on and kind of mentally vomited out my mouth. And I go, it's not that bad. Now that I heard it all, you know, these are first world problems. This is not I'm not dealing with the aftermath of Manchester. Mm -hmm. I am right here stressed because I have too many meetings on my calendar. Okay, what can I do about that? I have options. Yeah. And it's that forward looking, which I think is the other prong of this, which is how do you look at it as 
I think most people would be staggeringly uh, shocked at what most women leaders juggle. Yeah, you know, absolutely. the average, if you will, whatever normal is, I think you'd look and go, how do you get all that done on your calendar? And that endurance mindset of I'm taking each event or each day one at a time. And it's that ability to stay very present to that and not worry about, my God, I've got to pack and get the graduation slideshow done and, you know, prepare for this food and this celebration and, and all those multitude of things in the future where it's like right now, what I need to do is be here and do a good job. Mm-hmm. You know, be present for the people who need me, help who I can, get my big list done, and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. So that component. And then, as you said, right, so there's just that piece of handling yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there's the handling the situation. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so tricky um, in for many reasons, but one of which is a lot of times – for women who particularly women who like start their own business or are not in a standard I think it's tricky either way but when you're in like a standard corporate setting where there's grades of roles and there's a very clear structure and you do this two-year stint in this division and if you hit these numbers you get the next promotion there's there's a clear and outlined path to success but for many women that is not there. And so not only are you in this scenario where so much is happening, but in addition to having to navigate how to handle yourself and how to care for yourself in the midst of it, you're literally having to create, imagine, attempt new ways that you have had no exposure to that there might not be a precedent for to solve a problem. Right. Which also induces stress. Uh-huh. Just a little, just <laughs> because sometimes. Because I'm not really confident in my abilities in this situation. And further, I may fail at it, which may in fact slow us down instead of speeding us up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think there's just, I get energized by those situations. I'm probably the classic entrepreneur that way where it's like, awesome, I might fail, mm-hmm. um, which most of the time funnels my adrenaline. I'm keenly aware based on people I work and live with that other people do not thrive in that environment. It's like, oh, wait a second, we're going to need a better plan and a this and a that. And I'm like, hit the wall, let yourself make some mistakes. I'm totally comfortable with that because the figuring it out live is what I'm seeking where they're seeking qualitatively a better start and a better plan to Mm -hmm. alleviate mistakes. So I think there's that Um, you've got to know who's around you as well. Because for me, I might induce more stress than people need because I like change and I like new and I like adrenaline. And somebody else is saying, wow, I'm going to be new at this. It's going to be a first time. This is going to induce way more stress than I'm comfortable with. And instead of my energy rising, it's falling. And you guys have to intersect. And I think even the fact of because the problem you face next week or next month might be new but you have faced problems and successfully and sometimes unsuccessfully navigated them and I think you have that perspective of I could try it it could go well it could go poorly I won't die no one else will die 
I mean, unless one of us is a surgeon, but neither of us are. <laughs> neither. So, no. So we're good. Yep. Um, and, you know, and so we'll try it again. And I think that that idea, right, going, taking it back to the theme of endurance, mm-hmm. of I've been at this point before where I just feel like I can't keep moving forward I've, I'm at my limit and then like the next big thing goes wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, I know this feeling, I know what this is like, and I know that I actually can get through it, that the sun will keep rising and setting, <laughs> even if I don't want it to. Right. Um, and that, you know, I'll find my way through whatever this next thing is. But just, I think that expectation when something is new, you don't know the terrain of it yet. And so, and I think that this is the component is very few of us expect the challenges that we end up facing. We think oh, that, isn't that we think the truth? one thing is going to be hard when in reality we have no idea about the real things that are hard. Or we think that something that we faced was a one-time event and we have no idea that it's actually something that's going to happen biannually. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Right. And, and so I think that... Um, just even the reality in the service business of every month you have to sell again. Like right. brand new slate. Brand new. Like you may have had a fabulous month. You may have had three fabulous months. That does not change the fact that the next month all over Back again to ground you have zero. to generate the <laughs> you know, same amount of revenue and exactly. do it again and again and again. And it doesn't change the fact that there could be factors out of your control, mm-hmm. whether it's that you have one, you know, you have a really strong, too strong of a client concentration and one big client starts to be late and payment of invoicing causes you all sorts of cash flow problems. It could be something like that. It could be that the you're economy. one big, Yeah, the economy. It could be the one big client goes away. It could be that something that you were counting on for that you've been doing with somebody or a client or as a service for years and years is something that your client is now doing themselves in-house. It could be any number of things, but it's never the thing. It's rarely, I shouldn't say never. Yeah. It's rarely the thing you think it's going to be. Right, that you're prepared for. That you're prepared for. Yeah. And sometimes when one of those, when you navigate and survive one of those, you think like, okay, that's done now. And you're certainly not expecting it to happen twice. Uh, so I, th- I just think like there's that aspect with endurance as a mindset is recognizing that part of your role is just to be at the ready. Well, it, yes, exactly. Always. Yeah. And that's what I think in and of itself is tiring. Yes. You know, I look at my husband trained for marathons and that metaphor sticks in my mind because I would never do that. I would rather play any sport other than go running. It, it might be my very least likely thing to ever do. But I would go with and put my bike on a low gear and spin, you know, basically going really effortlessly next to him as he would run a tr- 20 miler every single Sunday because he was in shape year round for three marathons. And the training for a marathon, you never run the full marathon. You run 20 miles And your body muscle memory works the same way you were just talking about metaphorically in my mind is, you know, you can get through that. So your body assumes the next 6.2. 
And there's just an of courseness with that because you're doing seven miles one day and you're doing 10 another and you do one time once a week, 20, and you have a day where you rest. And there's a cadence to it that someone figured out where you're not running 26.2 ever until you do the race. You're not doing 20 every single day. You're doing it once a week. And it's toward the end of your training. Like if you were only doing it one time, like sane people do, <laughs> um, or at least more than my husband, um, you know, it's the last four or five weeks that you're doing 20 miles every Sunday. You're building and you're pushing your body, but it's in gradual inc increments. Business never works like that. And I find that I draw in as many personal victories um, and the tribulations and trials I've faced there in my business life. Because in, in um, to keep it all in perspective, the life stuff is way tougher. You know, I the year I had my mom die, the next year my brother died, the following year my dad tried to die exactly 12 months apart, right oh. around the holidays. And I remember thinking when my dad was very close and, and literally was right on death's door, thinking... I am going to, and, and I have never been one of those people who thought, I'll just go away for the holidays and avoid them like they don't follow you wherever you go. And it was the first year that in my mind I went, I can't do this again. I, I cannot get up to what's supposed to be a happy, joyous, it's always stressful, it seems to me, in business and home for anyone I know. There's just this added pace and frenzy that goes with all the retail of it, no matter how much I personally have tried to unplug. I look up and I go, it's the world around me. It's the people around me. And I remember that third year in a row feeling so fatigued emotionally. It wasn't physical. It was it was a trepidation where I was like, is it going to happen? Is it going to happen? And then when he went in the hospital, I remember thinking, next year I'm going to Mexico. As if something's going to be different there. And I know logically it's it's not. But everything in me went, I want to avoid my life. Mm -hmm. Having he, he made it through another couple of years and then passed away recently. But it was, you know, that kind of stuff. Nothing has been as hard as all the stuff that went with that because I was also going through a divorce. I moved. I moved my business. I mean, I had like six of those stressors going on at once. And I remember at that time, I would tell you in, in complete honesty, I was more peaceful with less, doing less, because I couldn't say yes to things. Mm. It was too much. Sure. So life simplified in so many dramatic ways. And I remember going, this is the toughest, most challenging. These were real problems. The first real ones I had really, really faced in concert. Mm -hmm. And I remember thinking, uh, and I have never forgotten that. So even when business gets crazy these days, I just find I have a whole different perspective having gone through that and gotten on the other side of it. Sure, sure. Yeah. Where you go, okay, it's not as bad as that. Nothing has ever been as bad as that. Mm -hmm. um, and there's something that's, I think, you become successful and you build endurance out of the toughest stuff. So I think success is a result of many failures, true, like where you feel like you can't take anymore. When you come out of that, that's building the muscle of, I have perspective. Yeah. And I think that the belief that you can do hard things. Oh, 
without question. Yeah, I think that that idea that, okay. And I think in the first few go-rounds of any new devastating hard thing, you don't necessarily have the confidence that you will survive it. And I think like, you know. In the midst of it. In the midst of it, you know. And I think that you get through it and then the next hard thing that comes along it's not less hard but you're now armed with the confidence and the knowledge that it won't kill you it won't end you yeah Uh, and a certain skill set like I've gotten through that so it might be similar Mm -hmm. and so I think like that helps but I also think that's the other component of endurance as a mindset is the recognition of the terrain Mm -hmm. oh I remember this fork in the road or I remember a similar one. And the last time I was here, yes, this is totally how it felt. I felt all alone. I felt like I didn't know the right path to take. I didn't know what the right resources to turn to for good data and information about next steps and what to do. You know, I was confused and scared and overwhelmed and felt like everyone was relying on me. You know, just whatever those things are, whether they're in the midst of personal challenges or business challenges, there's, for me, those four that I listed are just very familiar things that I go, oh, okay, hello again. Right, right. You know, you're not really a friend, but I know you. I recognize you. you. Yeah, yeah. And it's just like, exactly. And so, um, whereas the first time it was like, what is happening? Or, right. you know, even the first three times. And I, and I think like that's, that's the component is learning to spot that situation and sort of be like, okay. Right. And I think the very first time you have sort of the other shoe drop or the bottom fallout, you're going, this isn't supposed to be happening. Mm-hmm. And you're asking, why is it happening? Mm-hmm. I think that diminishes yeah. the more successes you have out of these because I rarely at this point go, why is this happening to me? Which I think paralyzes you. Absolutely. And the other one is like, it isn't supposed to. Well, no, my expectations may not be that this should be happening. But in reality, (laughs) this is exactly what's supposed to be happening. And I'm the only one arguing with it. Yes. Yeah. And and that perspective just comes from it. Yeah. So you know you've got to go forward. So that's what you do. And I think it's really, you know, there's some gifts, I think, with also coming through many challenges because I was talking with Rhoda Olson yesterday and she framed up something that for me was so profound. She said, I'm only forward looking at this point. And she said, that's a blessing because in these kind of situations, you're only looking at where you could be Mm -hmm. rather than where you're stuck or where you've been. And secondarily, though, it's a limiter because she said, I forget a lot of times how much pain there was. So I dissociate. Mm -hmm. And I think there is a tipping point with that as well, where endurance is looking forward and being able to act upon it, but not forgetting the touch point of pain, because I think that's a good catalyst. It can be favorable, not that you want to relive it or, or marinate in it. It's just that touchstone of don't forget, don't forget that you, you survived this and it was real. Yeah. So I think just to recap some of what we said is that taking care of yourself, of identifying what is in your toolbox. Yep. And identifying that not every tool in that toolbox is going to be the right one to use and being willing to experiment until you find it. 
and then recognizing also in terms of dealing with the situation that the more of them you deal with and survive the more you're able to identify the components of them believe in yourself and sort of have a similar tool set to pull from yeah and that's the nature of resilience and endurance I think yeah well said, my friend. <laughs> Very nice. You said most of it. I just recapped no, what you said. No, <laughs> God, no, I did not. You uh, started the whole uh, good metaphor. Uh, Magic. Cool. All right. So should we move on to our five? Let's do it. All right. What are you reading? You know, I had this great... Um, This is a short read, but I loved it. And it was very fun to read this one. It says, 16 Things Your Successful Friends Have Given Up. And it's a short article by Tim Denning, which I really enjoyed. And I think because it was very straightforward and didn't worry about the PC language. And I had this very interesting conversation with my millennial daughter about how offended she was by the way this gentleman talked about, you know, because he talks about your loser friends, which I found refreshing because you knew exactly who he was referring to because you don't really have loser friends. You know, they're people you wouldn't associate with probably. But it's very frank and it's very straightforward. And he was talking about how to divorce your unsuccessful friends once and for all, which is why I go, they aren't loser friends. And so they were very straightforward. You know, it's they've given up believing they can't change the world. So they are the people trying to and they've given up on luck. And they've given up on numbing pain, so they have pain. It was just very refreshing to hear someone say, you know, they've given up on negative people. They're not going to spend time with people who aren't forwarding. They've given up on time-wasting. Like, they, they just don't sit around and watch the Kardashians. They might do that as a guilty pleasure, but it's not a main meat and potatoes part of their lives. They've given up on only consuming their contributors. They've given up on selfishness. They've given up on wasting money. They've given up on not believing in people, so you can't marinate in our world's going down the tubes. Um, They've given up on negative thoughts. They've given up on being stuck in failure. Um, They've given up on being single. They've given up on wearing a mask. They've given up on people's opinions of them, and they've given up on giving up, and they've given up on BS, which to me fits so well with this endurance part as well. And it's just, it's quick read, super worth it. You can Google it. It'll come right up. Loved it. That's awesome. What are you reading? I uh, just finished reading uh, Option B, Mm -hmm. Sheryl Sandberg's new book, Um, and it just totally fits with what we were saying. So facing adversity, building resilience, finding joy. Um, and one of the things that she talks about in the book is when these terrible things happen, that a legitimate outcome is actually post-traumatic growth. Like, and that we don't often talk about the fact that after your spouse dies, after your child dies, after you suddenly get fired, after your house gets foreclosed on, after you find out that your spouse is cheating and have a traumatic divorce, whatever it is, that there's actually growth that in many instances emerges from that. And she talked about how it takes five forms, uh, can take five different forms. So, and I thought this was really interesting. So the first is finding personal strength. And I think that is so true and Mm -hmm. so much of what we've been talking about now. The second, again, also gaining appreciation. That's absolutely true. The third, forming deeper relationships. I think that's 
so profound because that is what happens is when horrifying things happen, the people that either sometimes have been there the whole time mm-hmm. and continue to be there and help us through or the new people that we didn't expect that become just the real lifelines through that experience and right. we get deeper in our relationships with. The fourth is discovering more meaning in life. And the last one is seeing new possibilities. And I just loved, Love them. loved that because I do think that obviously in the throes of it, you're not going to want to hear like, it's wonderful that this horrifying thing happened because <laughs> yeah. you You'll can get really through grow. It. You're going to get through it. Um, but, but I do think that like recognizing that that's a real thing. Cause I think sometimes we, and rightfully so, but you know, empathy and horror about the terrible things is the right initial response. But I think it's not the last word. There are really incredible things that can happen mm-hmm. after that. So I loved that. I so. love it. What's the next one? You do the next one All right, first. So the insight and aha moment actually came from the book as well, which was because um, I love that she immediately then tra- begins to transfer it to building resilience with our children. Mm-hmm. building resilience within our workplaces and building resilience within our communities. And as a mom of a 13-year-old and an 8-year-old, I was so curious about how do you build resilience in children? Because I think this is there is no one no human on planet Earth that is going to come in and go out without experiencing pain. Mm-hmm. That's just not the reality of being a human being who's alive Correct. on this planet. So how do you help them navigate that? And she talked about how um, building resilience depends on the opportunities children have and the relationships they form with parents, caregivers, teachers, and friends. And you can help children develop four core beliefs to help them build resilience. The first is that they do have some control over their lives. So helping them recognize that even if they're in a scenario You know, I just think of like times when my children are really upset, it'll often be about something like school Mm -hmm. where something's going on where they just don't want to go. And I can't make, I I could, but I don't make the option available for them of playing hooky or not dealing with it. Right. So it's sort of like helping them understand that, yes, you don't have the control to skip this thing, but here are some areas where you do have control. So that idea of... And I just think that's so important because so much of when you're a child, so much of everything is determined for you. Correct. But helping, having your parents have, help you find meaningful areas where you have control and also like, you know, like not doing that thing where you abdicate your parenthood uh, and put the kid in charge, you know, but I just loved that. The second one was they can learn from failure. So this was the thing of like building cultures and families where you, the storytelling is also about the time that something was tried and it went poorly and not doing that thing of where you don't discuss moments of embarrassment or you something embarrassing happens and you say like, let's just not talk about that because it teaches children to not make efforts that embarrassment right. is worth it. Is, it's a price you I'm sorry, pay. not worth, is worse yeah. than um, than not trying. And that, you know, so I just thought that was a really interesting point that she made of how we discuss moments of failure, moments of embarrassment, and the fact that we should discuss them. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the third one is that they matter as human beings, which just feels 
so basic but is so important. And I was reading some other article that talked about the fact that having adults who are not their parents in their lives is one of the single biggest contributors to helping children feel that they matter. Um, is that someone who it does not quote unquote have to love them mm-hmm. does love them and mm-hmm. care for them. And so I just think like this is the thing. Uh, I have a number of friends, both women and also couples, who've chosen not to have children, and they get so much flack for it. It's unbelievable. Interesting. But I just think like they are some of the best people because they have the availability, time, emotionally, monetarily to spend time with children and show them that there are adults who care for them. I'm just thinking even of my own experience of my own life. The first time I went to Orchestra Hall was with an adult friend of my parents who didn't have children. The first time that I went to a music concert was with an adult friend. You know, like, so it was like my parents were busy with their lives and providing for me and working and doing all that stuff. But it was these other adults that mm-hmm. helped me, expose me to different things, but also like made me realize that I mattered. Right. And that I could start to have and form these interests. So I just think that's important. And then the last one is that they have real strengths to rely on and to share. And I think this is the other thing is that they're, um, and it ties into uh, what you were saying about the 17 things. And one of them was that they're not just consumers yep. that they give back. So of just that idea, like even as children, right? Because so much of, they rely on others for their clothing, for their food, for their house, for their schedule, but to help them understand the things that they do have that are unique and that they can offer. I just thought that was really, I loved those insights and those specific ways of thinking about how do you help children build resilience well this sounds like a great read that's yeah, all I, I loved can it say. I read it we went up north um, for a long weekend and I read it in a day and a half up there. oh my gosh I'm going because it sounds fabulous yeah it was really good um you know mine is far simpler mine is a metaphor I use in numerous things I teach, but it's one that no matter how many times I think about it, it helps me, again, keep perspective in in terms of the endurance game. I was trying to really tailor things together this time for it, something unique. And, um, you know, a plane or the space shuttle is off track. What percentage would you guess it's off track on its flight trajectory? Of 100% of a flight, what percentage would you say it's off track, course correcting? 15. It's 95 plus percent. Wow. So if you think about getting on a plane, which (laughs) I can relate to, and I'm going from here to, I was most recently in Detroit. You're going from Detroit and then from Detroit to Minneapolis. Between point A and B, that plane is adjusting for so many factors in the weather, in the air, in the weight you know, with the people, but because it's course correcting little tiny things all Mm -hmm. the time, you don't really feel it. But if you think about that plane, if it was way off track and it wasn't course correcting for the things it was off track for, and it was headed towards, say, um, Nashville, you'd have to bank a hard left between Minneapolis and Detroit when you realized it, if Mm -hmm. you weren't doing these incremental kinds of changes consistently. 
And what I find when I think about that is it's a really good metaphor for life. Mm -hmm. It's a good metaphor for business. It's a good metaphor for getting projects done. It's a good metaphor with children going, look, we are all imperfect beings. And when we combine our efforts, we're going to get somewhere more collaboratively and more effectively going forward. But when I think about that, the, the power of that is it's okay to be screwing up and, you know, correcting all the time. And it doesn't mean I'm failing. It means I'm adjusting to the circumstances and conditions around me so that I end up where I want to get on a time frame that works with what I've agreed to. And um, I just find so much peace in that because I'm one of those people who for many years of my life was wired like, you just need to get it done and you need to figure it out. And there should be no hard lefts. And sometimes you get somewhere and you go, oh, yeah, it's a hard left. I've never done it before. But the next time, it should be more of those incremental things. And I think we have to have permission to say life is about a lot of incremental yeah, improvements, I love I love not that. a failure. Yeah. And that that's okay. Exactly. And expected. Normal. Yeah. Normal. Yeah, for sure. All right. Let's talk about, wow, that's fantastic, or oh, hell oh no. yeah. Go, do you want me to go, or yeah, do you, you want go. to? Yeah, you go. So first. mine's going to be short, sweet, and intense. So it's based on personal experience in the last couple of weeks of my life, but it was one of those that hit me like a two-by-four. Is And I, I think it's germane to women, but I know it's not exclusive to women. How is that? Is that many women I know go from zero to inferno mad about things that I think are uncharacteristically not a big deal. Mm -hmm. And I I won't say it's not a big deal to them because clearly they're upset by it. But I feel like when you have a relationship with someone and you've demonstrated trust and you're on the path of we actually know one another, I have certain expectations of your behavior. And something happens that would upset me if I didn't know the person well. Sure and they go off the charts ballistic, I don't know why you have to pitch a fit where you can't just, I'm so used to dealing with difficult conversations that I go, let's just talk, help me get better. I'm receptive to feedback. And there's just this disproportionate amount of pressure and emotion and anger that I find, it makes me not wanna even venture into it because it's like, wait a second, I get you're hurt or I get you're angry, but can we talk? And it's Mm -hmm. like you remove that option from the table. And I feel like dialogue's always an option. Sure. And I had this situation come up where I went, women don't know how to fight well. I don't know Mm -hmm. if anyone really does, but I think having a disagreement is violently different. And I use that word intentionally, violently different than starting out angry and having a fight. I love this topic, <laughs> and I think we should do a whole podcast about it next time. Let's do it. All I'm right. totally up for it. Yeah. I have real experience yes. that's close to the yes. nerve right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Fighting well. Yeah. Disagreeing Or well. at least fighting. Yeah. Arguing versus fighting. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Absolutely. I love it. So my WTF is uh, just about... What so we live in the Twin Cities and the Sculpture Garden has been undergoing a renovation and the grand opening is this weekend. Correct. And they have a sculpture that is gallows where 
it's representing where 38 Native Americans were killed. And it's somehow been made, this, this sculpture has also been made into a play sculpture where apparently children are going to climb around. What? Yes, exactly. What is right? And when it was unveiled and the Native community is justifiably outraged right and cannot believe that the local modern art museum has created a structure for predominantly white families to go play fair i'd say that's fair and they're and they're i mean just like this is the type of thing you see I just feel like I see it over and over again in the last several years where these organizations or if they just had a modicum of diversity <laughs> exactly. in their leadership that there is. I mean, you can say that with like the whole Pepsi commercial. You could say it with so many things where like someone, anyone of any diverse right. background as part of the leadership would have caught this. But the fact one would hope. Yes. No, no, no. no I beyond hope like you just but it's like the fact that you don't know and then the fact of wanting to get credit for your good intentions when you've made mistakes like this is just I think at an individual level I see this this came up at the trans at work uh, panel that I facilitated where I asked like what can coworkers do to be better Mm mm-hmm and one of the things that came up is like, when I correct you, just take the correction. All right. Say, say thanks. Say, okay. oh, got it. Thank you. Yeah. Do not spend the next 15 minutes trying to convince me that you're a good human being who didn't mean it and making it now about me having to comfort you because you did something offensive. And I think it's like the same thing as like, it, this is all playing out in real time right now, but mm-hmm. it's really interesting even in their response which should be wow we screwed up we screwed up we 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 will we'll make remove this right this yeah we'll handle Done. it yeah is is this very like we didn't we failed to consider the implications for our native blah, friends blah, and blah. we will it's just so um trying to like talk about the quote-unquote intention of the sculpture right right it's intention but it's impact was to cause conversation it's just ridiculous so that's my wtf yeah no yeah. it's that's the nature of every conflict we've got to do a conflict one because yeah. intent versus impact, impact the impact was disastrous yeah wow yeah okay. all right hey so let's end on a positive note. What's yeah. your stuff you love? Well, it's one you're going to disagree with, and that's okay <laughs> with me. What I love is Tim Ferriss's podcasts. <laughs> I I love the people he chooses to interview and the interesting twists and turns around mastery. And so whether I love every single one of them isn't my point. It's just I find so many gems within like the Cheryl Strayad interview where you just go, God, I could listen to that person all day, every day. And there's all these little gems that I can make myself better with. So I really enjoy that podcast. And I'm going to throw in my definition for being unfuckwithable because I promised it and I don't want to forget. And it's when you're truly at peace and in touch with yourself and nothing anyone says or does bothers you and no negativity or drama can touch you. 
I love that. I do too. It's why it's a chapter title. Very so cool. that's mine. Very cool. All right. So what do you love? I love this um, women owned business called Green Bee Juicery that's in the Twin Cities area. They, I just did, I just finished up a three day juice cleanse of their juices. And I love the fact, um, so there's so many things I love about them. One of the things I love is that they, it's all like cold pressed, unpasteurized, uh, all of that good stuff that all of them are. But I just love the, the recipes are just unique enough and delicious enough. And I also love the fact that their juices come in glass jars. Yay. And if you keep the glass jar, because that's one of the things in the past when I've done them is I'm watching my recycling. Right. And feeling horrible about myself. Because there's 12 plastic bottles yeah, a yeah, day. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, so the, and if you return the glass jars at the end, they give you a free juice as a bonus. Um, they And the juice cleanse also comes with a detoxifying tincture that you put under your tongue that like is homeopathic that helps your liver okay it I want to do this right yes, now yes and right it now. comes with a detoxifying tea that you can drink and it comes with a detoxifying salt bath so like they also send this really awesome so that I just love that it's holistic it's complete it's delicious it's environmentally friendly it's just and they're just a great company so, so where are they? They are um, in the Twin Cities. It's Green Bee Juicery, and they deliver, but they also have their juice studio because I have them deliver to the office. I don't I have love time that. to go around writing a billion bottles of juice. Um, <laughs> uh, and they my uh, kind of girl, but they also have their studio on like Thirty Eighth in Chicago. So. Delivery it is. Yeah, it's awesome. I cannot recommend it enough. They're, my favorite juice of theirs is called Turmeric Glow, and it's got, like, carrot and pineapple and fresh turmeric, and it's it's like sunshine in a bottle. <laughs> it's so I think good. you love this for real. Yeah. That yeah. is a happy note to end us on. Yeah. I'm going to start my juice cleanse now. Now you know why I like <laughs> hanging around with her. All good things. Mata right. brings all good things. Thanks for listening yeah. to Leading Ladies. All right. We'll see you next time. You Bye. got it.